Hello, and welcome to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Ferguson, certified diversity executive, writer, and multicultural marketing consultant. On this podcast, we share diverse perspectives from leaders in their industries, explore diversity, equity, and inclusion concepts, and challenge our own assumptions and perspectives to take diversity beyond the checkbox. Before we introduce today's guest, for more insights and resources related to diversity and inclusion, visit thediversitymovement.com. Please welcome Alyssa Carpenter. Alyssa is the author of How to Listen and How to Be Heard, Inclusive Conversations at Work. She is a TEDx speaker, podcast host, and learning facilitator. Before starting her company, Everything's Not Okay and That's Okay, Alyssa worked as a higher education administrator at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Alyssa, welcome to Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Of course. Well, let's start, Alyssa, with talking about the Wharton School. That is a big, impressive job. (laughs) Can you tell us about that experience? I love working there. I love working in just higher education in general. I think Specifically at the Wharton School, you're at the number one business school, which is these incredible minds. You have just incredible students and faculty and staff. And I think I grew a lot as a professional there, just being in the position to see these young minds grow over the course of the four years. I worked a lot with undergraduate students, and it was incredible to see them as 17, 18-year-olds, a little bit nervous, scared to come in, what to expect and kind of being thrown in and then being able to walk with them through graduation and just that time and that evolution of just seeing people grow and develop to me is just so, so rewarding and incredible and keeping in touch with a lot of my old students now and seeing what they've accomplished. You know, 2021, they've accomplished way more than I ever will, you know, in a lifetime. (laughs) So it was just impressive to be part of a little part um, of their journey. So I'm honored to, to have worked there and, and really meet these incredible people. That's so exciting. So your company now, everything's not okay and that's okay. It's interesting because so often we bring our pulled together selves to work, right? We leave our concerns, our experiences, our situations either in the car or you know behind the smile when we turn our cameras on, which is what we're doing now, right? Why do you say that it's okay not to be okay when that's not how we're we're taught as we enter the workplace? It's tough. Um, even in my first jobs after graduate school, it I was 22. I had my master's. I was younger than some of the students I was working with at the time. And I felt like I had to compartmentalize who I was. This is professional Alyssa. This is personal Alyssa. You only talk about the professional in that space. And I have to look like and act like the people who are working there. And I was almost morphing myself into somebody I really wasn't. And I continued to do that for a little bit. And I saw other people and other colleagues do that to try to fit in. Because we say this idea of bring your whole self to work, but sometimes we really mean bring your whole self to work if it looks and acts and feels like the majority group that's there. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay, right? You're going to feel like somebody who's different. It's very hard to compartmentalize who you are, especially with everything just in general going on in the world. And we might be experiencing the same events but are taking them in very differently based on our experiences and how we're processing it. So it's very important to me to continue to get this message across that 
everything's not okay. And it's, it's okay that we're in that space and to keep growing and learning and developing. And it's important at professionals at any level to create spaces where people can feel valued, people can feel heard and bring themselves because you lose a piece of who you are and several pieces of who you are when you're trying to compartmentalize something that's just not, it's hard to put things in a bow and tied up really nice, you know, to come to work the next day or working virtually or whatever that is. There's always things going on. And Alyssa, from your perspective, how do we as leaders support the people in our workplace when they're not okay? What are some of your tips there? Sometimes it's tricky to even see, you know, if you're working virtually, you're not seeing people. For me, some of the signs is, is one, to look out for those signs and those differences. If somebody's attitude or, or way that they're working is shifting, asking those questions, how are you? And I think due to the pandemic and, and things going on, you can open that door a little more and say, you know, I'm really struggling, you know, being really vulnerable, sharing more about yourself. It's not telling people to show up as they are and then you hiding behind this facade. You know, you probably might even hear my kids, my dog, like it can be a little bit crazy here, but being kind of open and honest and vulnerable about where you are. So then you are able to kind of have those conversations. And if somebody needs help or they're saying that they're not okay, ask them, what do you need? How can I support you? Are there resources that you need? Are there tools? Because, you know, it's one thing to ask the question and another to just give what you think might be helpful because that's what you want. But we all need different things. And it can just be, need to adjust my work schedule a little bit. I'm finding it really hard with virtual school, just the timing. Can we have different hours or I need a new laptop or when, you know, whatever that case is, give that person a voice and ask, you know, what can I help you with support? What resources do you need right now? Love that. Such great advice. So let's talk about your company and some of the services that you provide. And then also, why did you start your company? Yeah, it's interesting because I started when I was working at Wharton and more of a side, obviously a side business working full time and in the career coaching space. So really working with professionals after they graduated, helping them find their space and their voice in the workplace. And then it evolved to companies and organizations reaching out to me and asking, you know, how can I recruit, retain, and engage these young professionals? We're losing them really quickly. I don't know what to do. How can we get them in our workspaces and and help them kind of grow and develop here? So that really shifted. And it was so incredible to be part of that process, both for young professionals and helping organizations just see and bridge and break through those communication barriers that are happening. And it really does essentially come down to communication of geographies and generations and job functions and races and ethnicities and and getting us to have these really open conversations. And now I do a lot of things virtually. I have a class, how to be a DEI change maker course. It's online self-paced with a mastermind group to get these conversations started, set the foundations of what can be going on in your company, vocabulary. I do virtual keynote speaking and training as well with organizations. And when the time comes, going back um, physically into different organizations and industry events, talking about bridging and breaking down communications and creating those inclusive workspaces. That's so fantastic. And let's talk about your book, How to Listen and How to Be Heard, Inclusive Conversations at Work. What prompted you to write this book? And what are some of the things that we'll learn by reading it? 
Yeah. And it's something I've been working on for a really long time. And it's so interesting working on something pre-pandemic coming out during the pandemic and how really quickly our world can change. But the basis of everything to me, again, is inclusive conversation. So it's 16 chapters. They're very short chapters. And it touches upon a variety of different things from toxic colleagues and how to have conversations with them. What does virtual work look like? And how do we actually communicate across those barriers? What are the types of communication that makes sense? Because oftentimes we defer to our method. If I'm an email person or a text person, I'm going to email or text you, and that might not be the way to communicate or get through to you. So it touches upon various different aspects. There's a glossary of terms in there just to kind of bring things down to the definitions of what they mean. If you're talking to somebody who may have a difference of opinion, how do you do that? How do you have these difficult conversations? So it really runs the gamut, again, at the end of the day, to create these spaces where we're having open conversations, people feel like you're listening, you're hearing what they're saying, and you're taking action moving forward from those conversations. And it's not a book necessarily for leaders per se, it's people, I do believe that anybody in any position has a voice and has the authority to say something and should be given the space to do so. So big or small, it's things that you can do each and every day to share your voice and empower others to share theirs. You mentioned inclusive conversations and inclusive communication. How do we create inclusive conversations or lead inclusive conversations in our workplace. Yeah. And I'll take a, a step back for a minute because I think sometimes we get, I don't want to say definitions confused because right now we're talking a lot about diversity. We're talking a lot about inclusion, but I see them as, as different things and part of a spectrum. So diversity to me is, is people and there's three types of diversity. So you have just the demographic diversity or race, ethnicity, gender, you have experiential, the experiences we have, then you have cognitive diversity, which is the different ways we think. So we have all types of diversity and you're going to fit in all these different buckets. Mm -hmm. And that's more of a a who, like this is a fact. We are these things. Inclusion is is a practice. So taking that action forward. Um, And your listeners probably know all these things. But when I think of inclusion, it's things that we need to do to bring all those people in and have those voices. So whether that's being a mentor or a sponsor for individuals, reaching out during a meeting and a conversation of, Jackie, we had a great conversation about this in the hallway. Can we share this with the group? Because I think that they'll find it interesting Mm -hmm. or allowing you to present during a meeting or a project or just having these, there's so many mistakes companies make all the time, whether it's products or services or things. And you're thinking, who did they talk to? You know, how did this get through? And it's because we're not including in thinking through the people. So Mm -hmm. it can be, bringing in different people from different parts of the organization, seeing things from beginning to end, bringing in customers and clients. And, you know, what does this look like? How does this evolve? How can we move forward? So it's having those conversations where there's different people with different voices and they're not just speaking, but you're really listening what they have to say, acknowledging it and taking that into consideration before making the decision. So not just asking people to ask, but really having that impact and influence the decisions moving forward. And that's such a learned skill, right? That's not something that's innate to us. We want to hear the things that we agree with or that we that resonate with us, right? But when we're hearing things that we disagree with, which mm-hmm. is, you know, which is often, right, in the workplace, you you've got to develop that as a skill to be able to listen intently 
and understand a, another perspective. And I love that inclusion is a practice that you said. That's that is so spot on. It's a continual thing that that you're making important in your organization. I love that. And just knowing too, it's not part of our DNA or biology, right? You know, thinking back to the caveman days, people who didn't look like you or experience life than you, they were a threat. They were scary. You really were a threat for your life. So we gravitate towards people who are similar to us and knowing that that's what happens. We have to proactively think outside the box and proactively seek out people who are different from us. And you don't really want to, as much as it's easy, right? To surround yourself with people who love your ideas and are yes people. Yeah. You don't grow, you don't get developed, you right. stop, you're stagnant, your company, everything is stagnant. So even if we're in the virtual space, put yourselves in positions that almost ease your way in where you can be the minority in that group. So if there are different virtual events that you can go to, different questions that you can ask, people you can surround yourself with, like take these steps to be outside so you can see what that what that looks like, what that feels like, and, and get different opinions. But it, it is part of our DNA. It's just how we were born, you know, brought up. So, you know, it, it takes a lot of active effort to be able to do it. And it is scary. And I, I am definitely still working on it because it's just second nature to be around people who are like you. Absolutely. But you're right. That's where innovation lies. It's in those questions and in the, the uncomfortableness, right, of the, of the moment. Alyssa, tell us about your TEDx talk. I know a few people who have done these. Can you talk us through the process and the experience? And then offer us a couple takeaways from your talk. It was awesome to give a TEDx talk, but it was so different. And I do a lot of keynote speaking. And this is so different from any other speech or process that I went through. One is it's shorter length. It's 18 minutes or less. So to come up with your idea and then just the nature of it and the story arc and then the takeaways. So it's it's such a different process to really come up with your idea in a succinct way so people leave with not only the aha moment, but these actionable steps in less than 20 minutes to inspire people over that time is is really incredible. It's it's a really rewarding experience. And the the talk itself was humanize your workplace one conversation at a time. And a lot of it is kind of the basis for the book about recognizing and understanding people's intentions and showing empathy. And I share a few stories about the mistakes that I very much made and how the intention of our message and our voice can be very different than the impact that it makes. And it doesn't make the impact any less, any bigger, you know, what the other person feels is very real on their side and really understanding how it doesn't matter what your intention was necessarily, but how things impact you and having these conversations and being open to being wrong and taking responsibility for those actions is huge. I don't want to say cathartic experience in some type of way, but you're thinking deep down of what are these stories and experiences and being very vulnerable and, and sharing things that you may not otherwise have the position to be able to do. So I really, I enjoyed it. It was a good learning experience for me as well. Absolutely. And what are some of the issues, Alyssa, that occur in the workplace when you don't have good communication? Everything. <laughs> I think to me, communication, expectations, trust is the foundation to everything. When you don't have good communication, you can't possibly have trust. You don't know what people's expectations are of you, of yourself. You're not asking the right questions. You're not bringing in the right people. You're not getting in the feedback that you need. You're behind on different products. I mean, it's really, it's everything. And communication is 
is tough. It's hard because there's so many different components to it. It's what we say. It's what we don't say. It's it's everything really rolled into one. And communication too is not just the speaking part. It's the act of listening part. You know, we're always thinking and talking about communication and what should we say or what should we do? And half of it is what do we not say? You know, what, how are we listening to somebody else? How are we interpreting what they're saying? And how are we kind of moving forward with it? People aren't mind readers as much as we want them to be. You know, people aren't mind readers. And if we don't say something and we don't take action, we're being passive aggressive in the way that we communicate. It all is a snowball effect from there. And if you get frustrated and we don't bring it up, you're going to get more frustrated when nothing happens, you know, and continue to move forward. So to me, communication is, is really essentially the foundation of anything and everything that we do. It makes me think of the, the awkward silence that so many people want to talk through rather than just letting something sit, listening, because they're thinking of their answer while the other person is talking, right? Or what's the response? rather than really taking time to listen, give the air some some silence, right? And then coming back with a response. But people are are so, you know, in the habit of not letting any dead air, you know, and I find this certainly in the in the work that I do, is there's there's always the one that when it's quiet has to speak because it's quiet, right? <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I'm okay with letting the air settle and letting people think through. But a lot of people are so quick to respond that they're not really thinking through what has been, you know, is being said. And so that's such an important point. Alyssa, what tips can you give us for good communication? What are the top two or three things that we should do and can do quickly? I think one is just what is the best way to communicate with you for everyday questions? And then what is the best way to communicate with you for emergencies? Again, specifically because we're not in person, all, all of us aren't necessarily in person, identifying is it email, is it phone? And if it's email, how many back and forth emails is it before we hop on the phone or we hop on a Zoom call? So it's not this kind of back and forth. And what are your expectations for email? Is it getting back to me in 24 hours, 48 hours? So setting these foundational kind of questions, and I've seen a lot of people even do almost a communication sheet of this is me. This is what I like to do. This is the best way to communicate with me. And everybody on their team has this, these documents that you can go through and they're living and breathing and and ever changing. So identifying your best way to communicate and your teams as well. So then you're on that same page, you know, or else the email is going to sit there. Somebody's not going to get back to your text. So, so know where everybody stands and how you can best work together. So Alyssa, in the workplace, when you're you know, on these Zoom calls or in a meetings, what happens or what do you do when someone says something that is offensive, hurts your feelings, and makes you feel not okay? What's your advice there? It happens a lot, unfortunately. And I share in my TEDx talk a couple examples, one of which, unfortunately, where I've done that was somebody else um, and made somebody feel uncomfortable. And there was a situation that I still think about a lot from one of my first jobs from graduate school where we were sitting around the table as a group, as a team, and my supervisor 
said to me that my face looked like the map of Jerusalem and we're all sitting together and it was just out of nowhere, made completely no sense. And I was so offended by it and I didn't know what to do or say. And I wound up not doing anything, which really wasn't the right thing. But I was nervous, you know, being a young professional. And I think looking back and learning from that experience, it's important to address those issues. Because I, I keep thinking, what if they're saying those things or doing those things to other people, you know, at this point, and maybe nobody is saying anything. And, and they don't know that they're doing something wrong or saying something offensive unless somebody really brings it up to them. But to me, it's not bringing it up in that moment with other people around, pulling that person aside and letting them know how you feel and being very specific. I was offended when you said my, my face looked like the map of Jerusalem and it, it made me feel really upset. You know, why did you say this? You know, having these conversations and this open dialogue is really important, but not as as a group um, and calling attention so that individual feels like they're attacked. And I wish there was a playbook for if this person says this and then you say this, but you don't necessarily know the direction of the conversation. And and I think it goes to some of the points that we were talking about before about the intent and the impact of the message. Well, to me, this one is very blatant of what was the intent of your message here and how did you want that to come across? Some of them aren't so specific. You know, some are very vague and that's where microaggressions come in. And that's just where all these other components come in and really assuming that really the that they weren't coming from this bad place that they were making a comment or just trying to have this conversation but having that open dialogue with that person and letting them know how it made you feel um, having that other person be open and honest about where they were coming from or what next steps that they would take or making suggestions moving forward but that's going to be a learning process and a learning curve that person might say something again that's offensive and then you bring it up again that person might do something else that may be offensive it's, again, easier if you have a relationship with that individual or with that person than just to, you know, outright call out that individual. But it's important to start those dialogues and to start those conversations so you feel more comfortable in that space. And then that person could potentially be aware of what they're saying and hopefully make changes moving forward. But no, it's not immediate. No, it's not something that'll take place in that moment or maybe overnight. It is a continuous conversations moving forward. Thanks for sharing that, Alyssa. That's great advice. Now, Alyssa, I'm going to move this into a little bit of personal. Based on our last conversation, I know that you have been with your husband since high school, which is so fantastic. Kudos, because that is hard to do. You know, as people grow and, and become who they are as adults, you know, sometimes they can go in different directions. So I, I love that you're together. Do these communication tips or what communication tips transfer to our personal relationships? It's funny because I think a lot of the skills transfer between your personal and your professional relationships and your, your personal life. Back to the mind reader comment, I think sometimes I want my husband to read my mind. We've been together for over 20 years. How do you not know what I'm thinking or what I'm saying? And it doesn't work like that. You know, being open, being honest, being transparent goes a really, really long way. And in your personal life, obviously I'm very different who I was in, in high school and college. We have two children, we have a dog, you know, your, your life and responsibilities are ever changing and your expectations are ever changing and things are just being thrown at you. So starting those conversations and just being really open. And I find that in our personal relationship, it's 
even if we go out to like a fast food restaurant and sit there or something, those conversations are very different than if we were in our house, like changing the scenery a little bit to have more personal conversations and just know that that's why we're here, putting away our phones. I'm obsessed. I carry my silly phone with me everywhere, but not that it's face down, that it's completely out of the room. So they know that the attention is on them on, you know, not other things. It's, it's still so important because I think sometimes I take for granted that we're always here. We're always together. Don't you know, or don't you see? And that's, that's not the way it is. So communication is still really, really important in your professional or personal relationships and, and scheduling those fun zoom calls with friends. And I put notes actually on my calendar, reach out to this person, remember it's their birthday, send a thank you card, you know, all of those things, because things just happen so quickly. And I think weeks go by days, years, and then, you know, you haven't contacted somebody or you haven't reached out. So I try to be proactive about it because I can't remember. So I write it down <laughs> oftentimes. So I'm more proactive. That is such good advice. Write things down and those reminders, because you're right. The days just get away from us and days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months. And before we know it, you know, it's been a year since we've seen someone or, or reached out to them. Love that. So Alyssa, a lot of us are feeling not okay with COVID, with social justice issues, with the recent political unrest. For me, you know, some days just feel very heavy with the work that I do, even though I love it so much, right? And some days feel overwhelming. Can you share some of the ways that you are not okay currently? So many ways. I feel, especially the past few months, it ebbs and flows in terms of emotions of I can do this, I can work through this. And then I just, I need a moment, you know, I need my break. I need, it's a lot. It almost seems like everything is just consistently piling up. And when will this pile kind of collapse or move on or, you know, whatever that case is. And part of, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever the case is of, of the privilege that I have is sometimes I can turn it off. I can turn my phone off. I can walk away. I can spend some time with my kids and play a game and not have any technology or not see anything. And not everybody has that privilege that you're in that space where you can be able to do that. So one, recognizing the privilege that you have to be able to do that. And I talk to a lot of people of, are you okay? I'm not all right. What's going on with you? Let's let's triage this. I write stuff down. And I, I try to give myself grace. If there's so many times where I, I just can't function in terms of writing this or getting this done and it's okay. You know, I know when I am in that space, it will be done better and faster and it will be all around in a better place and to not force something that's not there because our brain needs space. We all need self-care. And as much as I would like to say a massage and whatever will help, it just, it's very short term, you know, thinking about your what is something that is sustainable for you? What is something in those moments that you can give yourself grace for people who you can connect with to have that will help you through those in general, not okay moments? That's great advice. You know, for me, I've taken social media off my homepage and my phone, and it's been so helpful to just not have that as part of what I'm looking at all day, every day, right? And you've got to take those breaks. Like you said, it's so important to just stop and put things on hold. It can wait, but you definitely, that is part of self-care. Absolutely. Because it's so easy to go down that rabbit hole of this person said this negative comment. Now, who are they friends with that also said this negative comment? And then researching the article that the comment, and before you know it, it's 
I'm not in a good place. And I almost, I don't say I put myself in that bad place, but there was a way for me to, by removing the social media from my phone, I've actually set time limits now, you know, only look at this for this certain amount of time. And that's been very helpful to just bring awareness to what's going on because you just, I can just fall deep um, into the rabbit hole for quite some time. And when you realize and you get your air of, wow, and I can try and create systems that, that can help change that. Absolutely. So Alyssa, I read that you like 90s hip hop and that was <laughs> an unexpected yeah. find. I love that. So uh, what's the 411 on that? And if you, if anyone missed that, reference, but... <laughs> <laughs> you don't listen to 90s hip hop if you missed that reference. Alyssa, I love that you caught that. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> I feel, how can you not love 90s hip hop? And I'm like, I just so, I don't know. Being born in the 80s, growing up oh. in the 90s, it's just. And now like I use the Peloton app and I love Alex. So it's like his music. It just brings me back. Just this moment, like the stories that you tell, like they tell through the songs and, oh, it's just, I love it so much. It just, it's the best. It's such a great, I don't want to say distraction from, it pumps me up. Like it's, yeah. okay, I got work to do. Like, let me listen to this music or we'll do dance parties in her house. And before I realized some of the words in some of the songs. So I've been trying to find the edited versions of some right. songs for my kids, <laughs> but oh, it's just the best. I love that. Oh my goodness. So this is my favorite question to ask. And I try to ask this on every podcast. Tell us something about you that not a lot of people know. Oh, I know. I'm like, I keep like thinking about, I feel like I'm such an open book in so many ways. As much as I love, people and public speaking and being around people, I really don't like, and I'm so nervous about networking events where I don't know anybody or going into a place where I don't know anybody. I panic a lot. Maybe panic's not the right word, but if I'm, I have a large speaking event, it's not nervous about the event. It's where am I going to park? How am I going to get there? All the logistical pieces I really struggle with. And then I'll be up the night before worried whether it be a parking spot or, or things that are so silly when probably most people are like, wow, you're going to be speaking in front of a thousand people. It's so nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, is there be Judge a parallel park? Do I, I mean, it's like the little silly things that really make me nervous. <laughs> I love that you said that, that, you know, that's, it's so true because we see this, you know, you're, you're very articulate, put together, you know, great communicator. And it's so interesting to think that you might be up the night before thinking about where you're going to park. I, I love that. But we all have those, you know, fears and those concerns and those, those things that make us nervous. Certainly I'm exactly the same. And, you know, I've recently gotten into, you know, having a podcast and, and speaking in public and it's been nerve wracking and it's been a challenge. And certainly Jason, our producer and some others know that as I started this, you know, I was, you know, <laughs> basically hyperventilating in my first couple of, of podcasts. And now, you know, over time it, it gets easier and, and, you know, I get more comfortable, but it's, it's a challenge, you know, but you've got to lean into those things that you're afraid of sometimes. And, and I love that you said that. So thank you. Yeah. Alyssa, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? Oh, so much, but I think even, I mean, yes, it's my business name, but truthfully, everything's not okay. And, and really that's okay. And I think recognizing that and understanding that and giving yourself grace and taking those steps to 
create those more okay, better than okay moments. Again, I think as a society, sometimes we're just told, be fine. You know, when everybody asks you, are you okay? The default is, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm great, you know, or whatever it is, and you move on. And I encourage you, if it's somebody who's asking you that question, who you feel comfortable with and saying, you know, I'm not, right now I'm just struggling with X, Y, and Z, or just be honest with yourself about it. Because I think it'll help learn and grow and develop. And you'd be surprised, you know, how many people are also experiencing trying to balance all of these things and want somebody else to talk to about it and and learn from those experiences. So just be honest and open with yourself. And if you have the opportunity to do so with somebody you know, like trust and can relate to. Love that. Thank you. Alyssa, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. You can find Alyssa Carpenter at notokaythatsokaycoach.com and look for her book, How to Listen and How to Be Heard, Inclusive Conversations at Work, wherever books are sold. Alyssa, thank you again so much. I really enjoyed spending time with you today. Thank you, Jackie. It was amazing. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you like this show, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and leave us a rating and review as well. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. If you're looking for information on how full-service podcast production can amplify your voice and build your community, visit EarFluence.com. I'm Jackie Ferguson, and we'll see you soon on Diversity Beyond the Checkbox.